raise our hands in this place before we sit down. Father, we thank you for your presence here by your spirit, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you're here in our midst because of the work of your son, Jesus, on the cross. That through his, his substitutionary sacrifice, Father, we have been forgiven. We've been set free, Father, and we enjoy your forgiveness, and we enjoy your presence as a result of it, Father. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that we would begin to speak to our hearts this afternoon, Lord, about those issues and those areas where we are carrying in our hearts offense. Lord, that the spirit of the living God would come to wrestle with the hearts of men and women here today. And Lord, begin to change us and transform us from the inside out, Father, as we surrender to your word, as we surrender to that challenge to be forgivers, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've called us to love. You've called us to practice forgiveness. You've called us to walk in relationship. And Father, we ask, Lord God, that today by your spirit, there'd be a real change, Lord. And where we've walked around in circles, Father, that we would start to move forward for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take our seats right now. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, we are looking at today's message, Offense, Walking Free from Its Snare. Now, last week we had Christian Lythe who was covering the topic, How to uh, Totally Forgive Yourselves. And uh, for the most part, you can go back to that to review. But a small comment to make today is this, is thank God that you aren't your own judge. Sometimes when we commit sin and, and fail, we set ourselves up as our own judges and we determine the, uh, the punishment that we believe that we deserve. Should we not talk to God for a week? Should we um, suffer punishment? Should we uh, link the challenges that we're facing in life with the condemnation of God on our lives? When none of that's really true, Jesus is our one judge, amen? And he has come to declare over us, because of our faith in him, one simple declaration with, that I'd like you to say with me, I'm not guilty. And that's the truth and the reality is that God has said of us in Christ that we are not guilty. So the one who has a right to judge us sets us free and calls us to walk in liberty. And as, but as a way of building up towards our message today on offense, I want to just look at two broad stroke ways in which humans can tend to live life. They are famous images that we find in scripture and they might speak something to us today. The first is the group of the wandering Israelites. We know that they stepped out of Egypt and they stepped into the desert. They were only intended to spend about two or three days in the desert. The, the journey across to the promised land that they were undertaking would only have taken them a few days to make, and yet somehow they ended up spending 40 years walking around in the same circle in the desert until the entire generation had passed away. That's one image of how we can spend life. The other image is this, is that like Joshua or Paul, we press on to the upward call that is in Christ. Whatever challenges stand in our way, we insist on moving forward. And I want to ask you a question today. Are you moving forward, whatever circumstances come your way? Are you moving forward in the call of God on, a, on your life? Because all of us want to. And it's important that we break the cycle of walking around in circles so that we can move forward. And just to illustrate this, I would like you to turn your attention briefly to the screens right now. Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. It's a little bit naughty. But that's called the trust fall. How many of you have done the trust fall where you stand and you fall and someone catches you? Well, she obviously got it wrong. 
but she was moving forward at any cost. Some of us need to move forward at any cost. Even if we end up falling forward onto our faces, we need to start heading in the right direction. Amen? Fantastic. Um, so that just kind of gets us in the right context. That stepping free from offense is about beginning to move forward with the call of God on our lives. Beginning to let the baggage go. Beginning to stop walking in a circle and move out in the direction that God is calling you to. And with that context, I want to read to you a passage from Nehemiah. You might wonder at the start why I'm reading from here, but I believe it's important to us to get a visual on what I'm talking about today. And so this is the story of Nehemiah. The, he is uh, the king's cupbearer, King uh, Artaxerxes. He's in uh, Babylon. He's been taken away, captive, and he hears news about Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem has been plundered by Nebuchadnezzar. It's been destroyed. The wall has been broken down. All of the brainy people, the people of wealth, the people of education have been taken into exile in Babylon, and the, those in poverty have been left behind in the city. And Nehemiah is now serving his new king, and he would, he would be the one to serve him drinks, which would mean he'd have to take a sip himself before serving to prove A, that it wasn't poison, and B, that it was of good enough quality for the king. And he comes, uh, he's about his business, and some visitors come from Jerusalem, and they say to him in Nehemiah 1 verse 3, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's just imagine this for a second. Jerusalem, once a proud city, once the home of King David and King Solomon and all of the kings of Judah that subsequently came after Solomon, a proud place where the temple of the living God was, where the presence of God was, where everybody had to come from miles around in order to give sacrifice to praise the living God. This awesome city, now in ruins, the great wall all the way around the city broken down in various places. I don't know if you've had the chance to go to Jerusalem. should do at one time in your life or another as much as is possible. But that wall that they've got around the city of Jerusalem is quite a substantial wall. But that wall, I'm sure it's been built on and improved over the years from this time. But the wall that was in existence then was broken down in such a way that the people who lived inside the city and in the surround were in a place of deep insecurity. They were distressed. Their enemy could come and plunder them whenever they wanted. They couldn't spend a night in peace in their own houses because it could be that an enemy would come through a hole in the wall and come and steal their goods, steal their money, even take away their family members, even take away those that were most cherished to them at any time. And if they tried to rebuild the walls, if they tried to gather again together, the enemy would come back and destroy those walls. And that meant that this people were living in a perpetual state of anxiety, of destruction, of fear, never knowing what that was going to happen next, never knowing how they could move forward. And Nehemiah, in this situation, hears his story. He sits down, he begins to cry out to God, he prays, he seeks God, he's fasting. And then he goes to the king and says, you know what, I want to go back to my city. I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I want to restore peace to my people. 
And he got permission from his king to do that. And more than that, his king also provided him with all of the resources that he needed to go and rebuild those walls. And so he turns up at Jerusalem, and after a couple of days, he goes around and walks around, looks at the, the, the state of the city, and then he begins to organize the people and set them about the work of restoration. And there are enemies around. There is a gentleman named Sanballat who has a problem, a big problem, with the fact that Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the walls. And so they begin to taunt Nehemiah. And they begin to say, you are acting in opposition to the king. And then they began to mock the Jews and they began to say, who are you? Whatever you try to build, whatever you try to do, we're just going to tear it down just by walking on it. It's going to be so feeble. Why do you even bother yourselves? And then when they see that that didn't have an effect, they began to send raiding armies against them. And so they had to set up defenders or guards against at the holes in the wall in order to keep these invaders out. I want to ask you, why didn't they just destroy them in the first place? Why didn't they just come along and say, Nehemiah and you lot, you're dead. We are going to kill you and action that. But rather, they begin to taunt. They begin to throw accusation. Oh, Nehemiah, who do you think you are? Raising yourself up against the king. But you see, because of the edict of the king, because he was moving under the authority of the king, though they were in opposition, they were restrained by the authority that Nehemiah carried in the task that he was setting about. When they tried to undermine his relationship with the king, Nehemiah actually flips it around and says, I'm not too bothered about where you're saying I'm contradicting the king. Actually, God is the one who's placed me here, and God is the one who's going to see me through. And as he begins to rebuild the wall, the enemies begin to mock him. He simply says, I know who I am. I know what I'm here for. We keep building the wall. When they began to get angry and attack, he knew what to do. He set up a watch. He set up armed guards. And they were armed at one point and working as, well, armed with one hand and working with the other hand. And they completed the rebuilding of the wall. And now when they had completed the rebuilding of the wall, the enemies of Nehemiah sent message to him, and they tried to bring him out from the peace now of Jerusalem, from the safety of Jerusalem, tried to bring him out by deception, saying, oh, come now, let us reason together. We need to have a chat. They were trying to deceive him to bring him into a place where he was isolated so that they could then kill him. Now, there are many deep studies that you could go away and do yourself in this area of Nehemiah and the restoration of Jerusalem. But I tell you that story for a reason and for a purpose. And that purpose is this. If you are walking offended, your walls are broken down. If you are walking with offense to someone in your family, someone, one of your friends, one of your loved ones, your boss at work, if you are walking in offense towards them, then in the same way that the walls in Jerusalem were broken down, the walls of your heart, the walls of your life have been broken down as well. And not only are the walls down in the areas where you're holding offense, but the enemy is free to come and plunder you whenever he likes. He's free to come and take away your peace of mind. He's free to come and take away your money, your time, your sleep, He's free to divert you from the career path that you would have for yourself. He's free to, to take your destiny 
and to grind it into pieces. He's free to take your relationships, those that mean the most to you, and destroy them. When we walk in a fence, our walls are down. And sometimes we would wonder to ourselves, why did he or she leave me? Or we're wondering to ourselves, why is it that I can't proclaim the gospel to my loved ones? It's no wonder that we can't proclaim the gospel to our loved ones if our family won't speak to us because of offense. Now, in case you're lost on this, and I know I've taken it as usual straight to the core of the issue, but we're going to see some, some ways of setting free on this, stepping free in this. But for us to understand what I'm talking about, the definition of offense, which I would say we can apply to ourselves, is this. Any injury or any resentment that we carry in our hearts that prevents us from living in true relationship, that prevents us from walking with our love turned on towards those that are in our families, those that are important to us. It's so important. Colin was preaching about it this morning at the 11 o'clock service. I encourage you strongly to get this message, that message if you weren't here. But it's so important for us to walk in genuine relationship with one another, genuine relationship with our family members, genuine relationship with our friends. If you've been in abusive relationships, we say this as a disclaimer each time, we're not saying go back to the abusive relationships. But for those relationships which have broken down simply because of offense, there is something that needs to happen in our hearts and in our lives. Because a true relationship is like a soil which keeps a, a tree firmly rooted to the side of the cliff. And whatever happens, whatever challenges arises, that tree is held secure against the cliff face, just like you are held secure by the friends that encourage you and support you through your time of need. But if that soil on the root, root base of that tree begins to loosen, if it begins to fall apart, if the integrity is challenged, then that tree is left with no option but to fall from the face of the cliff to its own destruction. And if we find that we are increasingly isolating ourselves, and it might happen by accident, it might happen intentionally. If we find that after two or three weeks, we've not kept relationship with the church, that doesn't mean you have to be here in the building, but it means you're connected with your friends and family from the church where God has placed you. But if you find yourself isolated, do you know you set yourself up to become an, a target for the enemy? You're positioning yourself alone. I've been watching the series um, Africa with Dave Attenborough. I'm I just thinking to myself, I would love for somebody to come along and re-narrate uh, the whole story from the creation perspective because the glory of God is so amazing. But you see, when they go to hunt and hunt prey, they always take the weak ones. They always isolate them. They always take them when they're on their own. They cannot attack when you move together as one unit. The same for us. As Christians, God has given us the blessed position of having a family in Christ. Why don't you take a moment, look around at these beautiful people all around you, and just have a think. They're my family. Take a moment to do that. Now, the great thing about family is you can't choose them. Amen. And if you're looking at to your right and your left and say, oh, goodness, I, hope, I thought that person wasn't here. I hope they didn't see me. Then there is some offense which needs to be dealt with while we're here today. But how do we get to this place of the, the, the walls beginning to break down in our lives? 
I think it's important that we, we have our eyes open to this so that we understand how this issue begins to develop in us, how the walls of our hearts and our lives get broken down, and how that leaves us open to the attack of the enemy. Because I know that none of us want to leave open doors for the enemy to attack us, do we? Unless you're crazy. None of us do. Now, the first place is this. Sometimes, the first place where walls get broken down or, or our foundation gets cracked is this, that we have unrealistic expectations of one another. We expect people never to hurt us, and we expect people never to make a mistake. Now, how many of you are perfect here today? Oh, I saw that hand just really, that was sly. But none of us are perfect here today. We expect to make mistakes, do we not? So why on earth would we ever expect somebody else not to make a mistake? And what that then begins to do is actually position the problem with the other person, whoever they might be, our loved one, our friend, our colleague. And what we are placing responsibility with them for is this, that they would love you enough to not hurt you. That means that it depends on how much they actually do love you, not on your love for them. And then that person says something, does something, which they inevitably will do, however well-meaning they are. Even if they make a joke, you might take it seriously. However well-meaning they are, it brings a wound to your heart. And then you begin to dwell on that wound. I can't believe that that person said this to me. I can't believe that that person treated me this way. And so we begin to draw away from the relationship. Now, if that doesn't bring an entire hole in the wall, it will at least bring a crack in the wall. And then the next time we find ourselves in a similar situation, maybe we make a decision. You know what? Because of the way that leader treated me, I don't like any leaders now. And so a, leader, a new leader comes into your life. Maybe it's a church leader, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a, a senior member of the family in town. And you think to yourself, you know what, because of the way I was treated before, I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. And then there's a, a worse response to perhaps something they say, maybe it's misinterpreted. And the enemy begins to exploit that weakness in your heart, that resistance, that expectation that it depends on somebody else's ability to love me, not my ability to love them. And then the walls begin to come tumbling down, brick by brick. And we end up in a place where we never trust. We end up in a place where we don't have one genuine relationship. And if it is a relationship of sorts, it'll be the type of relationship where we say, you know what, I can tell that person anything. You know why? They, I can because they never ever tell me off for what I've done. You know why I can tell them anything? Because they never ever challenge me for the lifestyle and the choices that I've made. That's my definition of a real friend. You know what, we may as well be talking to corpses if that's the way that we want life to be. I want a friend who's gonna stand up and say, Gabriel, and give me a good clip around the ear because sometimes I need that to, for the words to sink in. But to give me a good clip around the ear and say, Gabriel, you know what, you're well out of line. What you just said was completely wrong. You've painted me in the wrong light. I didn't appreciate it. That's what I want in a friend. I don't want someone who's going to sit there and tell me what I want to hear. I want somebody in my life who's going to tell me what I need to hear. 
The problem is if we get into a place where the wall is broken down too much, where we don't trust people, where we don't allow people in, it can actually get to the place where you can continually be abused in that area because you don't know how to rebuild the walls. You don't know how to reestablish who you are and who God has created you to be. And that's what we really want to tackle today in this message. And it's important that we do so. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, As a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I hope you understand today that the only reason that I would ever bring a message like this is because I want to see you free. It's not because I'm siding with the person that has wronged you. It's not because I believe that their case is a stronger case than yours. It's not because I believe that you weren't done an injustice or that you haven't been treated unfairly. I am sure that you've been treated unfairly. I'm sure that you've gone through a difficult situation. I'm sure that it shouldn't have happened to you. I'm sure you're a very lovely person. I'm not taking their side. But I'm here to tell you that if you continue walking in offense, then you're choosing to align yourself to the will of the enemy operating in your life, to keep you isolated with your walls broken down so that he can take whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Now, the problem with offense is this. There are two categories of offense. Those who have been treated unjustly, and then those who believe that they have been treated unjustly. Whichever category you find yourself in, offense is extremely dangerous because we're often blind to it. And don't be too hard on yourself and beat yourself up when your eyes suddenly get open to this. You know, sometimes we have people say, I can't believe I didn't see it. But we're blind to offense because the key feature of offense is this. It's all their fault. The key feature of offense is it's the other person's problem. It's not my problem. I haven't done anything wrong. It's all you. You made me feel like this. Do you see what you've done to me? Do you see what you made me do? Any situation, I guarantee it, any situation where someone's lost their temper and got into a fight, because I used to do this all the time, that's why not. Any situation where you get into a fight, you're always like, yeah, if it's their fault, you should have seen the way they were looking at me. You should have seen what they did. You know, they, they, were just, they just walked past me and they bumped me when really it's a busy bar and everyone's getting bumped all over the place. But you see, it's all their fault. They hurt me. And that's where we enter into deception. That's why we're blinded because it's all about them instead of us taking responsibility for ourselves. Now, the first point of call to look at why we would do such a thing, A, is because we're proud. We're too proud to admit that in any situation we ever did anything wrong. We were always perfect. God knows I'm innocent. God knows I didn't do anything to deserve that. And then because we find that we are uh, unassailable, unquestionable, we begin to then run off of our feelings. My position is true, so whatever I feel about my position is going to be justified. And the longer we live blaming other people, the longer we will live feeling out of control of our own lives. We'll forever find ourselves in a place where how we feel in response to situations is determined by the other party. 
And it's a snare. It's a trap. When we believe that how we feel right now depends on how the other person treats us, what we actually do is become like the horse that is kept on a long leash and made to run around in a circle with the trainer in the middle. Instead of being free to run the plains, to run the meadows, we now become trapped and tied by that rope and we play to the trainer's tune and just we have to run around with the, with the, with the rope. When we begin to put responsibility for our feelings onto somebody else, we enter into bondage. And I want to challenge you today that we need to move from this false perception of truth, that we are correct, that we're justified, that we're right. We need to move from that false perception of truth and the feelings that we build on top of that decision to actually understanding what truth, truth really is. And do you want to know what the truth is today? Do you want to know what the truth is today? Some of you have fallen asleep already. I don't know why you're sleeping today. We need this stuff. But do you want to know why? What the truth is? The truth is this, is that you are called to be completely in control of you. You are called to be completely in control of your reactions, your decisions, your view of everything, your perspective. It's actually so much and so central to how we live that we're given it as a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. The Holy Spirit in us teaches us how to take control of ourselves. And it's not just an external, oh, I must behave like I'm perfect when I'm around the Christians, but when I'm with my mates on Friday night, I just go crazy. No, no, no. This is an internal ruling over our spirits in line with the truth of the Word of God. Regardless of the legitimacy of our complaint, regardless of our right to seek restitution or judgment, we are ruling over our spirits and choosing to operate according to Christ-like principle in every situation. We are choosing to walk in the truth, not according to our feelings. To say it another way, your ability to imitate Christ cannot be determined by somebody else. Your ability to follow what Jesus says and be like Jesus cannot depend on whether somebody else turned up on time, whether they brought the meal with them, whether they've come with their, uh, their, the right words to say to you, whether they've come with their Bible study. It cannot depend on any of those things. It depends solely upon you. So I want to take this example of walls, which we could apply in many different areas of our lives, but we want to focus on offense and forgiveness. Because like it or not, the rebuilding of those walls is something that is in our hands, holy. Now, if you want to read some material around this topic, Artie Kendall, Total Forgiveness, awesome book. And in addition to that, there's books like John Bevere's Bait of Satan, which really bring to the fore this issue of offense. But why should we want to be free from offense? I think all of us have within us a deep, deep desire for peace, which we've all looked into. And um, we might ask a question, well, what do I need to forgive in order to receive that peace? Well, let's just list some off. I was out earlier on today throwing snowballs at people as they came into church. And you wouldn't believe the faces of some of the team. They were like, you're a pastor. You can't throw snowballs at people. How dare you do that? And see, they had a, an expectation of me as a pastor that I didn't meet. 
Now, that's just a facile one. I've had other ones where I've said, you know what, sometimes I get to a point where I just need to say to people, I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you today. Um, I'm done. I'm going home. We can talk in the week. But you're a pastor. You're supposed to be available 24-7. I should be able to come to your door and knock at 3 a.m. Try it. Try knocking on my door at 3 a.m. <laughs> You'll be standing out there in the cold for, I don't know, four, five, six, seven, eight hours. False expectations that we have of one another. Maybe misperceptions. Maybe someone makes a joke that we don't take as a joke and we begin to get all offended about it. Lies spoken about you. Maybe you have suffered a genuine injustice. Maybe you have a cause where somebody can come and blame you for something that you've done or said that you've ripped them off. Maybe you've ripped them off in a relationship. Maybe you've ripped them off financially. Maybe you've ripped them off at work, taking credit for work when someone else has done all of the work themselves. That's the list of things that we need to forgive all the way through to adultery and murder if we really want to be, be like Christ. If we choose the other way, we choose to get our own punishment for that person to make sure that we execute justice. What we do is set ourselves up as judge. And when you do that, you keep God, the only true judge, from executing justice on your behalf. He wants us to become forgivers, which involves a change not just in our thinking, but also some of the false beliefs that we have about one another. I made reference to this last, uh, last time I preached two weeks ago, but I think it's something worth us revisiting. Remember that famous prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Remember that prayer. And he goes on to say, forgive us our, uh, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I want to just refresh you simply in this. If he said to us, give us today our daily bread is how we should ask God for provision, why didn't he also say, and ask for the peace from the Father. If all we have to do to get God to provide is say, God, give me my daily bread, why do we not also just say, Jesus, I need peace in my heart today. Give me peace. Instead, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He teaches us to pray that because when we forgive, we begin to experience the peace that he intends for us to experience. The peace that God wants us to walk in is dependent on us rebuilding our broken walls with forgiveness. Now, I made some um, comments about Nehemiah before, which I'd like us to refresh and reflect on right now. Because when we begin to practice this forgiveness that I'm talking about, we will face opposition without question. The first opposition Nehemiah faced was this um, accusation that he was going against his king. When we begin to practice forgiveness, we're going to experience an attack on our relationship with the king, with our father. And it might be like this. You know, if you let this person go, then, then God's not going to be able to punish them. And God hates sin. And God needs to punish that person. So if I let them go, then I'm not really identifying with my God. Well, the flaw with that thinking, first off, is that that's not God at all. God is a forgiver. God is gracious. God is loving. God is kind. He forgave you, didn't he? And when the enemy comes to attack our relationship with God, we say, we don't forgive in offense of our God. We forgive because of our God. We forgive because it's our Father 
who sent us to pray this. We forgive because it's our Father who taught us to pray, forgive our debtors just as we also have been forgiven. And He's the one who calls us to forgiveness. The second point is this, is that as they began rebuilding, the, the, the enemies begin to mock them. They said, whatever you guys build, you know, it's going to be just like that. We'll just go like that, and your wall will fall over. You're feeble. You're feeble. You don't even know how to build. We're just going to come along and knock it over. Sometimes, and I know this happens a lot, and it's a tragedy when it does happen, is that people come to church, and they get stirred up, and they want to forgive. They want to take action, but they go home to a family which says, oh, hey, 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 we're not touching this. This is the family secrets. And how dare you bring those family secrets out in public? You better not have gone and told the pastor about what's happening here in the home. You better not have let him know the things that we're struggling with. This is a private situation. No ministers allowed in here. No word of God allowed in here. And if you dare to breathe the word of it, then you're finished. But it happens all of the time. Sometimes we will be mocked for choosing to forgive. You fool. Do you not know how weak you are? You are letting them off the hook. They will make you a laughing stock. You know what will happen if you forgive this person? They'll go around saying, you know what? So-and-so is an easy target. Just go rip them off. Go tell them that you want to borrow 100 pounds. And then just tell them afterwards, I'm not paying back, but you're a Christian. You have to forgive me. Now, some of us experience that in the actual verbalization of our, friend, our families, if we are in the middle of family feuds, if you're in the middle of family feuds, I'm not in the middle of family feud, amen, hallelujah. But if you're in the middle of a family feud, you might find that they actually say that. You're so stupid for wanting to forgive. Don't you know that they're just going to make fun of you? Or you might actually have that constant argument in your head. I can't, I can't let this go because if I let this go, I'm going to look silly. Neither are appropriate voices for you to listen to. Just like Nehemiah, he ignored them and carried on building. We need to ignore the accusation of the enemy. We need to ignore the lies. We need to ignore this deception that we are weak when we practice forgiveness because forgiveness is actually the, big, the greatest possible strength because when you forgive, you are stepping out with love. When you forgive, you are stepping out with that power of God that rises up on the inside to love the unlovable person right in front of you. That's powerful. That's not weak. You're called to be powerful Christians. You're called to walk in the truth of the Word of God. What is weakness is hatred. That's weakness. What is weakness is unforgiveness. What is weakness is, is self-pity. What is weakness is feeling sorry for yourself. That's weakness if we want to draw comparisons. Strength is found when we step out of our circumstances and forgive and bring love. The enemy tried those two tactics on Nehemiah. They didn't work. You're going to have those two tactics tried against you while you are rebuilding these walls through love. And there are going to come points in time when you could have to stop being passive. Remember I said before that our decision to put the responsibility for our feelings in the hands of somebody else disempowers us. When we start to be put in a position where we are taking responsibility, the only way that we do that is by loving without reservation. And we're going to have to set up guards of love to do that. 
in these gaps in the wall, this wall, the great wall that had been broken down, the gaps that were there, the enemy could easily come through. And so what Nehemiah did was he put, some, put men working with one hand in their, on their, had their sword and with the other hand they labored. When you're rebuilding the walls, when you're learning how to trust again, I can guarantee you that an enemy is going to come. I can guarantee you that an enemy is going to come. You might make a decision, you know what, I'm going to walk with Christ this year. I'm going to start confronting the issue where I don't trust. And the issue area I don't trust is that people have um, betrayed my trust. I've given them secrets and they have run away with those secrets and they've told everybody. But I know that I need to become a trusting person. I can guarantee you pretty much, and this isn't so that we go get all freaky about our, our friends now, but I can guarantee that one of your friends that will come along will be somebody that will do just that. And you always have a choice when that person betrays your confidence. You have a choice. Do I go backwards? Do I go back to the place where I didn't trust anybody? Or do I forgive and keep moving forwards? Do I keep moving forwards and knowing that I'm going to hit a place where my friends are friends that I can trust with my life? And those that don't honor those, their, their commitment to me, well, God bless them and I love them, but they don't need to be involved. That involves you being on guard. It involves you bringing a weapon with you. And the weapon that you bring with you is the truth of God's word. That we are called to love everybody, regardless. Now I want to bring a, a, a comparison to this. And sometimes we get our guards wrong. Sometimes we think that we can defend ourselves, protect ourselves with the wrong tools. There's a big hole in the wall. And we think the way that we defend that hole in the wall is with anger, is with rejection, is with fear. The moment somebody tries to become a friend, no, 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 I don't want to be a friend to you. Get out of my life. And we run away. No, 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 no. You, last time somebody tried to cheat me, do you know what happened? And we get angry and we start to flare up and we start to get up in their face. Do you know what happened the last time someone tried to rip me off? I dealt with them. You know what? I'm serious. I dealt with them. Yeah. I spent all day walking around my room saying I was going to get them. And then the next time I saw them, I smiled sweetly. We put up charades. And we treat those as the tools of our defense. In the meantime, the wall is still broken down. The only way that you start to rebuild those walls, the only way, Am I making sense to you today? Do I need to be more practical? Do you, are you getting a sense of where I'm going? The only way that you can rebuild those walls in your heart and in your life is by actively loving. Actively loving. Actively loving. Because each act of love is a new brick going in that hole. A new brick going in that hole. A new brick going in that hole until the whole wall is rebuilt. But the whole time we use these other false tools, fear, rejection, anger, distance, coldness, we're really just putting up wooden fences that anybody could walk over. We need to build walls. What I'm saying to you is that there are some walls that you've built that are really fences that need to be torn down. When you are too defensive, when you are too distant, when you have no real friends that know you, You've built wooden fences that need to be torn down. 
When you find yourself getting easily offended, easily used, easily abused, you have a hole in the wall. But all of that needs to be rebuilt so that the wall around you, around your heart and around your life is one of love. Not a wall to keep people out, but a wall of power to keep peace in so that you can keep loving. A wall of strength so that when people come to you, they know that the consistent message that they're going to get from you is a loving message because you know who you are in Christ. Your foundation has been restored. Your walls have been built up, and you know that whatever situation they throw at you, you can bring love straight back. You can encourage straight back. And they might try to wound you, and they might wound you temporarily. But when you live with your love turned on, with that agape love turned on, the undeserving love, the love that loves in, the, in spite of the weakness of the person in front of us, that love actually is a seed, a seed which begins to bring transformation. You know what? Sometimes we have had this question asked of me. You know what happens if you know, we love that person and forgive them and they do it again? Do we then stop? That's how many of us, well, many of us don't even get to the first forgiveness, let alone the second forgiveness. But G Peter asked Jesus a question which we all wish he hadn't asked him. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? And Jesus gave us that answer that none of us wish that we'd heard. Seven times 70. Quick maths, 490. Right? We don't even forgive once. But when we begin to forgive like that, when we begin to forgive like that, when we begin to love that kind of a person, do you know what we're saying? We're saying something much more powerful than, you know, um, I'm just showing you how to be like Jesus, take it or leave it. What we're actually saying is this, I believe that Jesus can change you just like he's changed me. I believe that love can transform your heart just like love has transformed my heart. I will go to 489 times forgiving you because I believe that 490th time your heart is going to break and you're going to come to Christ because I believe in the power of love. That's what we're saying every time we practice forgiveness. Every time we step into that, I believe that Jesus can change you just like he changed me. And I'm going to show you what that love looks like. I'm going to demonstrate that to you so that you know. That's the kind of life that the Lord calls us to live. Rebuild the walls. Rebuild the walls of your heart so that you can love, love, love. And one further thing just for you. Uh, in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the end goal, the peace. Forgiveness brings peace. Forgiveness brings peace and the ability to love. And when we're in that place where we can love, actually what we find happening is our, our hearts and our minds are guarded. No more wasting your time spending all day thinking about the email that you want to send to that person to tell them just how they felt about you, uh, what they've done to you. No more time wasted feeling sorry and depressed for yourself. No more time wasted thinking, does everybody else hate me because this person seems to hate me? No more time wasted thinking I can't go home because if I go home, you know, all of these family issues are going to get stirred up again. No more time wasted on any of that, but rather the peace of God in your mind. 
No more self-doubt in your heart. You know what? God doesn't love me. God hasn't forgiven me. No, because you have practiced the same forgiveness that you've received, you know what it looks like and you know what it experiences in your heart through the love of God. His peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind so you don't waste time living in circles, but you spend time living purposefully in the direction that the Lord is calling you to. What today is preventing you from becoming more like Christ? Next few minutes, I want to lead us to a place of ministry, but I do also want to give those of you who need to receive this forgiveness from God, the same forgiveness that you've received, uh, so that, that you want to extend, that you'd receive it first from the Lord. But what is preventing you from moving forward to becoming Christ-like? Which person or people are you walking in unforgiveness towards? Because it's affecting you. Whether or not you'd like to, some of you pretend you're too strong. Some of you need to humble yourselves. No one is so strong that they, that they can walk with this unforgiveness in their hearts. It's like a wound, a knife wound that's constantly in your heart. No one is strong enough to walk with that and do what Jesus calls us to do. But what is challenging you? Think about it. Think about it for a few minutes while we just speak to those that don't yet know Jesus. And I want to speak to, you, to those of you who don't yet know Jesus. You know, this forgiveness that I'm talking about, he taught on the cross, or he demonstrated on the cross what he taught all his life. Forgive these people who've killed me because they don't know what they're doing. That's forgiveness. And Jesus extends the same forgiveness to us. When we did not know what we were doing, when we were living in sin, when we were cursing the name of the Lord, when we were walking in opposition to God, Jesus was saying about us, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. If you've never had that encounter with the forgiveness of God, I want to invite you today to a response to that forgiveness. And I want you to demonstrate your response by simply raising your hand in the air after we've prayed a short prayer. Okay? So I'd like for us to pray together. And if you pray this prayer for the first time, to be bold and say, I want that forgiveness from Christ. And I need to make peace with my brother. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. And Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us a gift of forgiveness in the work of your Son upon the cross. And Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness to be extended towards us today. Wash us clean of sin. Forgive us. Forgive us how we've offended you. Wash us clean. Call us into being sons and daughters of the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to be bold and raise your hand up in the air. No one's looking around. Just raise your hand up in the air and say, I need Jesus. I need that forgiveness. Thank you very much, sir. Is there anyone else? Anyone else needing the forgiveness of the Lord today? Another one here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone else needing to come to know Jesus today? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good to see so many of you responding. Anyone else? I need the forgiveness from the Lord today. Today is your day of salvation. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Let me just pray for these people and all of us. I want us to come before the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for the, the people who've just put their hands up, seven or eight of them, Father, today, nine of them. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the ministry of your spirit to their hearts, Lord. And Lord, I ask, Father, that you would speak to them clearly today about the forgiveness that they've received, that they would receive such a deep sense of peace and it would bring them to that place of releasing forgiveness to those that have sinned against them, just like they've been forgiven by you today. And Lord, take them on to a deeper place with you, 
that they would know you in a life-transforming way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise for that. Now, just to say, if you raised your hand in that prayer during that time, there's someone near you, they want to just spend a few quick moments, give you a Bible, and uh, help you just pray with you as you made that decision. So they'll be with you. Please just spend a moment with them. Uh, but for the rest of us, let's stand together. And if consolidators, if you do need to take those people out to the back room, that's fine. But for the rest of us, let's stand up and do some business with God right now. Have I spoken to some of you today? Yes. We have to forgive. We don't want to forgive. <laughs> let's close our eyes and our hearts before the Lord. No, don't close our hearts. Open our hearts. Close our eyes. <laughs> All right. But close our eyes. And everyone that felt that touch that they need to deal with an offense that they've carried, however long, that this is a time when it will be dealt with today. Okay? I want you to just start to talk to God and ask Him, if you, can't, if you don't have the strength to forgive, ask Him for the strength to forgive. But today, to leave this place knowing that you've forgiven that person, let's just start to pray. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence here, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for the work that you're doing in our hearts to soften us by your Spirit. We thank you for the transformation that you're bringing into our hearts as you speak to us by the truth of your Word. And Lord Jesus, we are so sorry for holding offense, for constantly blaming others, for constantly holding them accountable for our failure to walk with you. First, we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We remember that challenge you gave us to love those that have sinned against us, to pray for them. And so, Lord, we begin to pray for them today. Just right where you are, begin to pray for that person. Begin to take up the challenge of the word of the Lord to you, to pray for them, to pray for them to be blessed, to pray for them to, be, to meet with God. And it's a difficult prayer to pray, I know that. But it's a prayer that will set you free. Start to do business with God right where you're at. Lord Jesus, pray for them. Pray for them like you wish that somebody would pray for you. Pray for them like you wish somebody would pray for you to get saved. Some of you know the people that prayed for you to get saved, but pray for them the same way, those that need your forgiveness today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Father, by your Spirit, start to speak to your people as they're releasing forgiveness, Lord. As they're releasing the burdens, Father. As they're extending forgiveness, Lord. Lord, as they're praying, Lord, for that person to be blessed, and as they're praying for that person to meet with you, Father, I thank you, Lord, that the weight that they've carried would be lifted off of their hearts and lifted off of their minds, Lord. And that that 
wall that has been broken down would be beginning to be rebuilt right now, Father. Lord, supernaturally, that there be a restoration in our persons. Supernaturally, there be a restoration in our character, in our personality. As we extend this forgiveness, as we reach out and as we begin to love these people that have so wronged us, just like Jesus loved those that had so wronged him, Lord, we pray, Father, that there be a transformation in our heart, a healing, a restorative flow, Lord Jesus. Lord, by your Spirit right now, that you'd start a move amongst your people, that you'd start a move in such a way, Father, that that issue, that offense would be dealt with and left in the past, that that offense would be forgiven, Lord God. And Lord, when they next see that person, that there would be boldness in their heart and love on their face. Lord, a smile, an encouragement, a good to see you that is genuinely meant. Father, we thank you, Lord, that there would be change, genuine change, Father, as we step free from offense. And Lord, by your spirit, Lord, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for those that have been, are in family feuds right now, for those that are right now struggling, they haven't spoken to family members for some years, and you know that there is still a, a lack of peace in those relationships. Father, for those, I ask that as they forgive, Lord God, that there be a restoration, a transformation, a making whole, Father, that there be a supernatural moving in the Spirit, that a phone call would come in the next week. We need to talk. We need to make peace. We need to bury the hatchet. We need to become a family again, that that would move mightily by your Spirit, Lord God. For those that have fallen out over, over miscommunications and loose words, Father, Lord, we, we nullify the poison that has entered by those words in Jesus' name. And Lord, speak a word of healing and forgiveness over that area. Lord, that it would be transformed and turned around for your good, Lord God. Lord, we thank you, Father, for moving mightily, mightily, mightily in that area. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, we lift up for those that have carried an offense towards their loved ones, their, their sibling, their husband or wife, or boyfriend or girlfriend, where they have simply stopped loving because of an offense that they haven't even communicated before. And things are going really badly because of that. For those that that word ministers to, Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you'd lead them to that place of forgiveness right now. That they would, you would help them see their partner with the eyes of love that you see them with. Break off every demonic attack, every right of the enemy to move in that area because of that false belief. We renounce it right now in Jesus' name. And Father, that the love of Christ and the peace of Christ would rest upon those relationships right now. We break off every spirit of divorce. We break off every spirit of separation in operation against marriages and relationships in this house, relationships that are going towards marriage. We break you down in the name of Jesus. And we build up the walls of marriage in this house. We build up the walls of deep relationship in this house. We strengthen the family units by prayer right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we also thank you as your children, if there are those here who are the only Christians in their family, and their families back home cannot relate to them because they become a Christian, they're Muslims or they're Hindus or they're Jews, that you would begin to move through your servants today, Father. And Lord, that you bring restoration to the family units, Lord God. Lord, that there would be a, a flow of the Spirit of God into those situations. Transformation, Father, by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that don't for those that don't feel they have the courage to do this, to walk this path of forgiveness, I thank you for putting that courage in them. I thank you for putting that courage in them supernaturally to be like Christ. Bless us, Father, as we become obedient to your word and that we pray continually for those that wrong us. 
and pray continually for those that sin against us, just like you told us to. Because in so doing, we become like you, Father. We want to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering right now. Fantastic. So good to have you with us. Next Sunday is our baptism service. Always a great time of celebration. And we're going to look at an interesting topic next week. Esteban's going to be here to look at totally forgiving God, where we have held grudges and offense towards God, maybe blame Him for the issues in our lives. We're going to look at that amazing topic as part of our final series. So that's baptism service next week. Bruce is going to be with us at the 5 and 7. Do join us for that. Remember, Tuesday is the start date for Living Free, Mastering Leadership. Wednesday is the uh, Survey of Christian Doctrine. Thursday is Effective Communication. As you start to make your way out, there'll be a welcome team there for you. Do stop and say hi to them. Give them a smile and uh, uh, spend some time with them. They'd love to help you out as you find your place here in the church. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your Sundays and see you all very soon.